This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. So good to see you on this special, special day in the church world. What's that Pastor Alex always say? It's like the Super Bowl for Christians, right? Resurrection Sunday. One of the most spectacular characteristics of the Hollywood film industry is special effects. Have you noticed? I mean, how many times have you ever walked out of a theater thinking, wow, how did they do that? For example, those of you who are James Bond fans, you might already know that the biggest stunt explosion in movie history, all of movie history, was the 24th Bond movie, Spectre. It's even listed in the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh, it's an impressive scene. Took over 2,000 gallons of kerosene, 300 detonators, 24 explosive devices, and a mountain of dust and debris to fake this spectacular explosion. Can, do we have a picture of that? Okay. You know, it's really kind of too bad that the Guinness Book of World Records wasn't around in Jesus' day because there is no Hollywood special effect that can match the earth-shaking, tomb-opening visit from the angel on Easter morning. In fact, the shock waves of joy of that morning, 2,100 years ago, are still being felt by believers all over planet Earth. It's the most joyful event in human history. Incidentally, around the world, it's customary for some Christian congregations to eliminate one word from their vocabulary during the season of Lent. The word is not spoken, the word is not sung, the word is not prayed in some congregations from Ash Wednesday all the way until Easter Sunday. You may remember that last week we started off with the word Hosanna, which means save us or salvation. The crowd shouted it to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. But as you remember, their Hosannas turned quickly into hostility and hatred. And by the end of the week, Jesus heard the sounds of crucify him ringing in his ears as he carried up the hill to Golgotha, his cross. Anyway, for the 40 days... Of Lent, many Christians have waited for when they could celebrate the risen Christ. And today, with congregations around the world, we get the opportunity to say our special word together. Can you guess what the word is? Really? No guesses? Hallelujah! That's, oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> and that's it. That's what I was trying to think of, yeah. That's the Hebrew word that means praise you, Lord. Every time you say hallelujah, you're saying praise you, Lord. So I invite you right now to say it with me. Will you do it? Hallelujah. 
Oh, you can do way better than that. So once more with feeling, hallelujah, there you go. And hallelujah is the ultimate Easter word. But I imagine that hallelujah was probably the last thing the women were thinking about as they headed to Jesus' tomb to anoint his broken body that first Easter morning. We read in the 28th chapter of Matthew, After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women, what they do? They hurried from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy, ran to tell the disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Well, they came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You know, there are lots of stories in the Bible where people are waiting on God. They are uh, waiting to hear God's voice. They're waiting to receive some provision, God's guidance. But I find it very interesting that the Easter story is one of the few times in the Bible where God waits for us. Can you picture the guards' faces when they see the angel descend from heaven? and roll back the stone from the tomb with so much power that it causes an earthquake? By the way, did you notice that the angel didn't release Jesus from the tomb? No. Jesus had already risen from the grave. The, the, he even folded up his grave clothes and very neatly and left them behind. He didn't need the angel's help. No, no, the only reason the angel rolled away the stone was so that Jesus' visitors that morning could see that the tomb was empty. And then the angel sat down on the stone. Why? Why did he sit down on the stone? He certainly wasn't tired. He's an angel. No, I'll tell you what he was doing. He was sitting there waiting, waiting for the women to arrive. And what do you suppose he was doing while he was waiting? I don't imagine he was practicing what he was going to say to the women. I mean, uh, I mean, sure, we might do that, <laughs> but not an angel. By the way, I read recently that some very famous actors use cue cards or assistants offstage to feed them their lines through hidden earpieces. Johnny Depp is one of those actors. Supposedly, in some of his most Important movies, he, all, he wore this earpiece, or he could hear his lines. But he's not alone. 
Even the great actor Marlon Brando taped cue cards all over the set of the movies and, and uh, also asked his fellow actors to please help him hold cue cards for me. And uh, in, mo in more recent times, since you don't know who Marlon Brando is, <laughs> dated reference, <laughs> Tom Cruise filming Days of Thunder, the scriptwriter kept changing the script on an almost daily basis. So Cruz, he taped pages of the script to the dashboard of his race car. Unfortunately, he was so busy reading while driving, he ended up crashing the car. <laughs> Smart move, Tom. Anyway, angels may have a fairly hard job, but I, memorizing their lines should be easy. Almost every angel, at least in the New Testament, has the same opening line, right? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I mean, they, they, that four words, exclamation point. This is how you know when God is near. Whenever God's near, people become very afraid. Just imagine the women coming to the tomb that morning. It's darkness, still dark. Their eyes are swollen and tender from weeping. Their hearts are breaking. It's a journey they hoped they would never never have to make. They walk to the tomb with heavy hearts, fearful of being harassed by the guards, worried about how they were going to move the stone, grieving because the man who was the way and the truth and the life was now dead and in the grave. And they walked up and saw the angel waiting for him. And notice what the angel says. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come, see for yourself. And then go quickly and tell the disciples that he's already headed for Galilee. And then as the woman hurried from the tomb, Jesus appears to them in the flesh. Jesus, whose bloody, tortured body had been prepared for burial. In fact, they had prepared it for burial. Suddenly, he's standing right before them, alive. Do not be afraid, he said. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And nothing, friends, in human history has been the same since that moment. Shockwaves of joy are still, to this day, throughout time, across nations, and in human hearts, is still proclaiming he's alive. The Reverend Billy Graham, he once said, if I were an enemy of Christianity, I would aim right at the resurrection because that is the heart of Christianity. And he's right. Amen. Jesus' resurrection from the grave and his promise of an eternal life for all those who put their trust in him, that's the very heart of Christianity. That's why we can say hallelujah today and not just today, every day. Oh, do you, you know that? You can say it every day. He rose. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. He arose and lives forevermore. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We can say hallelujah, first of all, to the victory of love over hate. And the world turned against Jesus in the last week of his life. Think of that. In one week. I wonder why he didn't just give up on humanity right then and there, wouldn't you? 
In those last lonely hours of his arrest and torture and crucifixion, why didn't he just put a stop to all of it? Because he could have. Why would he remain faithful even when we are faithless? Why would he remain so courageous when we are cowards? Why would he still love us even when we betrayed him? And you know what the answer is? It's because love is essential to God's nature. Love is God's greatest weapon to defeat evil. Love is why God created the world in the first place. And love is how God is going to save the world at the last. God's faithful love will never give up on us. Back in 2018, a former student armed with a semi-automatic rifle entered a Parkland, Florida high school and murdered 17 students and faculty members and injured 17 more. Can you even imagine the grief and the shock and the anger and the sorrow of people who lost children on that day. Several prayer vigils were held in the community in the days following that shooting, and most of the prayers were for healing and strength, comfort for the family, prayers for friends of the victims. But in one particular vigil, the speaker was Eddie Bevel of Park Ridge Church, and he offered a prayer for the shooter. He said, Lord, we ask that you will intervene in his disturbed mind and show him the hope that can be found only in you. We pray, Lord, for your miraculous work to be evident in him and in spite of him. Wow. But we know from the Gospels that Jesus, on the cross, did the same thing. He forgave those who put him there. He gave his life for the very people who hated him, the very people who rejected him, the very people who abandoned him. You know, hate hits a dead end when it is finally poisoned both the victim and the perpetrator. Full hate. But love, oh, but love has an endless, an endless capacity to heal, endless capacity to transform and bring new hope and bring new life to both its giver and its recipient. Love is greater. Martin Luther King Jr.'s essay, Loving your enemies, he wrote this. He said, to our most bitter opponents, uh, opponents we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our, our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do, do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. One day, we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience 
that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. And Christ's victory on the cross was a double victory. It was victory over, of love over hate, and it was also victory of life over death. You know, even in the Middle East, this, the shockwaves of Christ's victory over both hate and death are still being felt today, in the Middle East, today. And I'll give you an example. You maybe know that the people of Lebanon and Syria... These people have been enemies for decades. A few years ago, Pastor Leanne Friesen visited Lebanon, and when she heard the story, she heard more than one story, story after story after story, of Syrian soldiers killing and harassing the Lebanese people. She met a pastor whose father was killed by these Syrians. And she met a woman who was holding her infant child in her arms while a Syrian soldier held her at gunpoint. She was told of the suffering when Syrian soldiers in, invaded a town and they cut off all access to food and medical supplies for over three months. Horrible stories of violence and death. But, but there's something else you need to know. That pastor whose father was killed, he now has a church that's focused on reaching and is reaching thousands of Syrian Families, the very people that killed his father. A few weeks ago, he invited a Syrian refugee to the front. Why? So he could wash his feet in front of the entire congregation to remind them what it means to love and forgive. His church has grown from 60 to 900 people, and over two-thirds of them are refugees. The woman who was held at gunpoint when she held her child, she's a part of that church that cares for 500 displaced Syrian people. One church even started a school for Syrian refugees. It's just incredible. But in the face of hatred, in the face of death, the Lebanese Christians are now offering new life to their enemies. And listen, friends, that is a Jesus kind of outcome. Because of Jesus' suffering on the cross and his willingness to forgive those who put him there, we can say hallelujah to the victory of life over death and love over hate. And finally, we can say hallelujah to the victory of hope over despair. Once again, even in the Middle East, I'll give you one more example. When the government-backed soldiers ravaged the Dinka villages of southern Sudan just a few years ago, they murdered and kidnapped villagers and burned their homes down and destroyed their crops. They left behind what we're seeing happen in Ukraine right now. Left behind grief and devastation. But the elderly women of the Dinka village who were left behind, they were left behind to clean up the damage bury the dead. What they did was they set about creating crosses out of sticks and string, and they planted those crosses over every grave as a symbol of their hope. The Jesus they believed in faced powerful enemies too. 
The Jesus they believed in also died a brutal and unjust death, death, unjust death. And the Jesus they believed in rose from the dead. He left behind, listen, he left behind an empty cross. You do know that the cross is empty. You do know, don't you, that the tomb is empty. He left, he left those behind. Why? Why did he leave them? Why, why do we have a cross right there? Why is the cross even left there? Why is the cross on the front of the pulpit? Why do we bring that horrible image into here? It's a reminder. It's a reminder, friends, that hatred and sorrow and even death had no power over him. And as his followers, hatred and sorrow and death have no power over us. Man, we can say hallelujah. I love saying hallelujah to the hope of resurrection and eternal life. Unfortunately, it seems that it takes us maybe being beside, sitting beside a tomb or a grave to really understand the value of life. Some of you in just recent months have lost loved ones. But sometimes it's only when you have, and, and most of your loved ones you've lost have not been because of hatred necessarily, but sometimes it's only when you have stared hatred in the face that you can truly understand the value of love. It's only when you have experienced the, the darkest depths of despair that you can understand the power of an unshakable hope. And that hope can only be found in the character and promises of a loving, always faithful, and all-powerful God. Listen, friends, today and every day is Easter for the followers of Jesus. Once we understand the power of his resurrection, we live the rest of our days just outside the fullness of God's grace. The fullness of God's grace is found in an empty tomb. The fullness of God's grace is found in the victory of love over hate and life over death and hope over despair. And today and every day, we can say hallelujah and amen to the victory found only in Jesus Christ. I was thinking this morning, in the early hours of the morning, when I was forced to get out of my warm bed because we had a sunrise service. <laughs> Earlier than I normally get up. Not much later than I sometimes go to bed. <laughs> I thought about, why well, don't you stay up? Nah, I better get an hour or two. But anyway, <laughs> but I was thinking. We do Easter and we do all these services we talk, and I think sometimes we miss something very very simple but very powerful, and that is that God wants a relationship with us. And the relationship, we learn something from God if we pay attention. He teaches us something about love that we seem to miss. Love is giving. Love is a verb. It's giving. 
God so loved the world that he gave. And so the relationship begins as Christ, God gave his son, Christ gave his life. What is they doing? They're saying, here's what love is. Here's what love is, and they are loving us. They're extending the hand of love to all of us. So, they've done their part to establish the relationship. But you know, not everyone who God loves has eternal life. Not everyone that God loves goes to heaven. It's the ones who love him that have eternal life. The ones that love him. See, he loves everybody. He died, Christ did, for the sins of the world. to pay. So say, I want a relationship with you. And for us to love him requires that we give. What do we have to give that he didn't give us? What are you going to give him money? He said, God didn't give me my money. Well, sure he did. He gave you the ability to make the money. He gave you everything you have. All you have to give him. The only thing you have to give him. The only way you can have a relationship with him that will send you to heaven, that will give you eternal life. The only one thing you have is your will. He gave you a free will that you can use any way you want to. And he says, if you will take that one thing that I don't require, I'm not demanding of you, I'm not making you do, I'm saying if you'll give that to me, we can have a love relationship. Not a church relationship. Everybody wants to get all twisted up, you know, I ain't religious, I don't like religion, I like relationship. No, you don't. If you had a relationship, you'd go to church because that's what he wants you to do. You say, well, I don't like that story. (laughs) Well, I didn't write it. (laughs) Listen, it's so simple, but you don't have that relationship if you're not willing to surrender your will and say, God, I'll give myself away. And let you live your life through me. Now we have a relationship. He gave, we gave. Oh, what a love affair. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. Ever heard that song? He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. Yeah, we got a relationship. It's not just that guy in the sky. No. I know him. Oh, and he knows me. That's exactly what this is all about. You know, when the Lord was here on earth, he gathered his disciples together, much like we're gathered here today. And the purpose for that evening gathering was to encourage them. He wanted to reassure them that he could always be trusted. He led them in what has been known as the Lord's Supper. 
He gave them bread. He gave them drink. He told them to continue gathering together in his name after he left. He instructed them, he said, keep on celebrating my life and my death and my resurrection until I return for you. And he assured them that he would return. Satan, however, would have you believe that Jesus is dead. He would have you believe that the Lord's Supper is just some kind of a meaningless ritual. But remember, Satan is a liar. And Jesus is the truth. And I'm going to go on record this morning, church. I am a believer in the truth. And I've committed myself to the one who calls himself the truth. Therefore, I'm going to be following the instructions of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be communing with him according to his desires by partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning. And if you're a born-again disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, you too are encouraged to partake. It's not necessary for you to be a member of this church. You only need to be a follower of Jesus. And if you've never surrendered your will to Jesus Christ to follow him, you can do that right now. So may I ask everyone, would you do this with me right now? Would you bow your head? Everybody, and repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, please forgive me for leaving you out of my life. Beginning today, I pledge to love, serve, and follow you in everything, forever. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer just now, and you meant it, you are a child of God, born into the kingdom. If you've surrendered your will, and now you can join with the rest of us as we prepare to partake of Holy Communion. And what Jesus wants from us is a pure heart. He wants, when I say that, what he wants is a willingness of us to be honest. Not to be perfect. We're not perfect. We're not holy. But we can be honest, perfectly honest. And we, he wants us to confess our sins to him. He wants us to repent, which means turn from our sins. And when we do that, it puts things right between him and us. And then if you have anything against somebody else, anybody else, you need to go to that person and make it right. Ask them to forgive you if you have offended them. If, and if that person is not here today, then promise the Lord that at the first opportunity when you see them, you'll take care of that. Because that will put things right between you and them. Because we want everything to be right between us and God and us and anybody else. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.